This is a Federal News Network podcast. Incoming presidents must make thousands of nominations to fill out their administrations. In the past two decades, though, national security nominations have taken longer and longer to make it through Senate confirmation. Some slots stay vacant for years. A new study by the Partnership for Public Service looks into why. Federal News Network's Scott Massioni spoke with the organization's Presidential Transition Center director, Valerie Smith-Boyd. We wanted to look at national security positions, the top national security positions, to take a look at the positions that everyone agrees are most important to get nominated and confirmed quickly, and to examine whether, whether the problem is as prevalent there as everywhere else. And unfortunately, um, the case is that presidents uh, do a good job of getting their top leadership, the secretaries and directors of intelligence agencies um, nominated quickly within five days often. And the Senate does a good job of confirming those very top positions within 14 days on average over the last 20 years. But for the really key positions just below Deputy secretaries, undersecretaries, and administrators of of major agencies like FEMA and Customs and Border Protection, um, those positions take an average of 157 days to be nominated and an average of 81 days to be confirmed, which is just unacceptably long when you think about the importance of the issues that these uh, the leaders in these positions are, are managing. You looked at these uh, past administrations and, um, you know, did you see an increase from the George W. Bush years to now the Biden years? Or, you know, were you comparing this to the 1990s? Um, You know, how are you seeing these uh, in, in terms of the relevance to this historical context? So we wanted to look at these positions since 9-11, because as you know, the 9-11 Commission took a look at um, concerns and causes leading up to that terrible tragedy. And one of their findings and key recommendations was that um, the delayed transition and also challenges getting people in place meant that uh, President Bush didn't have um, all of the top positions in place that uh, for for very long before 9/11 that that would have been helpful in addressing those those problems. So the 9/11 Commission bipartisan experts came out with with these recommendations nearly 20 years ago. And then the Intelligence Reform Act of 2004 said something very similar. There was a a sense of the Senate expressed there that these positions should be nominated and confirmed within 30 days of inauguration. And so we really wanted to use those um, expert bipartisan recommendations to be the gauge uh, since then of how well presidents and and the Senate have been able to do. And so, unfortunately, uh, the the trend is is getting more difficult over time. Um, The the challenges for President Trump getting his team in place following a a complex transition, I think, are well documented. And so you do see the numbers, uh, the length of time going up for President Trump. President Biden has uh, been able to move faster by comparison. But uh, none of the none of the numbers are as good as as any of us would like them to be. And within this study, you point out two major factors that have to do with why these nominations are not moving as fast as as one would hope. You know, would you mind pointing those two out and uh, just kind of explaining a little bit about them? 
Sure. The the factors are are pretty straightforward. The first one is that presidents are taking um, a bit too long to nominate these positions, and we really don't place the blame at um, at the feet of these administrations. We think that the um, the vetting and disclosures process is increasingly complex, and uh, we are promoting the recommendations from a bipartisan working group from 2012, which had a a group of tremendous personnel experts from different administrations who recommended streamlining background investigations and um, disclosures processes for these positions. And so we're really um, encouraging uh, congressional and federal partners to look at those recommendations and um, and renew them, uh, take action on them. So, so that's the first factor that just get the pathway to nomination takes far too long. Um, and then the sec- second factor is that the Senate is taking far too long to confirm them. And um, we're working on a different piece of research now that suggests even the reforms that were made 10 years ago uh, to create a privileged nomination calendar and streamline some uh, some straightforward positions, um, even those positions are taking longer than they did before those reforms were enacted. So there's really an across-the-board concern with the Senate confirmation process. One other thing that you note in the study is that some billets have been vacant for literally years. I mean, I can think of one, the uh, Undersecretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness is one that has been neglected many times. Is it just partly the problem that there's too many people that the president needs to nominate at this point? I mean, I believe it's, it's in the thousands, right? Each president needs to nominate about 4,000 positions upon coming into office. About 1,200 of those positions need to be Senate confirmed. And at the rate at which the Senate is confirming them, it is mathematically impossible to get through them all. Um, And the the problems for vacant positions, there are numerous causes for for these vacancies. Some of the positions are hard to fill with the combination of expertise that that someone might need to run a health system. Um, Perhaps the compensation structure is is different from the private sector to the public sector, and it's it's hard to attract good candidates. Um, And there are problems with uh, presidents knowing that it may be hard to get candidates through a a polarized Senate uh, based on on the needs of certain positions. And as you said, Scott, the um, one of the major problems is that there are simply too many positions to to get through quickly. So does this report come out with any recommendations as well? Or do you have any suggestions on how administrations in the future can move forward with this? Our overarching recommendation is that the uh, federal branch and and legislative branch should work together to reduce the number of Senate-confirmed positions. The number is just too high uh, to to get everybody through. Um, But we also recommend looking at the recommendations from 10 years ago from the bipartisan working group on streamlining nominations and, and background investigations and working together to to modernize our disclosures requirements and our expectations so that it is um, more straightforward to make a nomination. 
And we also recommend that the Senate examine its procedures and look at um, streamlining the confirmation process. Valerie Smith-Boyd, director of the Partnership for Public Services Center for Presidential Transition, speaking with Federal News Network Scott Mossione. Check out Scott's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, And uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy. His name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her. I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, admit, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style? And, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that 
you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on the results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current, uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.